Okay, our first reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 7, no, verses 8 to 17. So it's an easy page number, page 2. Okay, Genesis chapter 2. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put a man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Fission. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good, aromatic resin, and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The, third, the name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Second reading is found in the other end of the Bible in Revelation 22, beginning at verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, let's bow our heads. Lord, you've given us your word, your faithful and reliable word, the last into eternity. We just pray that you'll uh, continue to write on our hearts and uh, that we may grasp it and mend our lives accordingly. Pray that blessing, Father, through your word yet again this morning. Amen. Guys, I'm going to try to do something I've never done before. So if you feel like guinea pigs, um, it's probably accurate. Although we started with the morning service, so do a second cab off the rank. I've got, what I've done is prepared what's arguably the longest uh, series I've ever done. And it's got a lot of what I believe is fascinating information. Um, you can tell me if it's fascinating or not, but I, I actually take some great delight in understanding the Bible and it's fascinating to me. So what we're doing, there's a slide before that one, thanks. Who's on the slides? There we go, doubling up. So doubling up in 2020, we're going to skip through scripture. We're going to go from Genesis to Revelation, and we're going to start doing that this week. 
Now, the Bible has brackets around it because we're just travelling through this earth and we're just going to travel through the Bible for the next 12 weeks or however long we have here, I have here. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. So what I've done is sequence, which I hope the logic will be clear by the time we get to the end of it, the two trees of Eden, thanks to our, our resident gardener over here, Don Burke. Two trees, tree of knowledge tree of, uh, and the tree of life. Then we're going to go on and look at the two great cities in the Bible. Who can tell me what the two great cities are? Jerusalem's one of them. Babylon. Babylon and Jerusalem. And Babylon occurs a lot earlier in the Bible than Jerusalem does. So the Bible's got two great trees, two great cities and two famous gardens. What are the famous gardens in the good Lord's word? Yeah, Eden and Gethsemane. And we're going to get, get to Gethsemane around Easter, if I've got this sorted out correctly, and spend some, time in, spend some time in Gethsemane, because Gethsemane particularly captivates me, because at a human level, there is no Calvary if there is no Gethsemane. If Jesus, Jesus didn't die to himself in tears of blood, Calvary would never have happened. So there's a lot to be learned from Calvary and the way of life from Eden. So that's where we're heading. Now, guys, to my mind, there are Bibles bracketed by three chapters at either end that echo each other. So the three chapters at the start of Genesis are mirrored in the three chapters at the end of uh, Revelation. Don't forget, as far as I'm concerned, one, the Bible is the best commentary on itself. And two, the inspiration of the flow of the Bible is as much as the inspiration of the Bible. Because there's a coherent, uh, there's a coherent unity to the Bible when you can get the big picture and not just have the small pictures, which is really good and necessary as well. And what I'd like to do is continue to develop the coherent unity of the Bible from the first three to the last three and take away uh, from that what we can learn. I also want to say at this point that as we embark on this series, too many people too often have come to the Bible and pulled parts of it out and, uh, and say this came from there, this came from there. And of course I spoke there last year, didn't I, about how people decide the Bible is the word of, or some of the Bible is the word of God, but it's not all the word of God. And therefore it makes me God over the word because I'm the one that gets to decide what is divinely inspired and what isn't divinely inspired. Now I want you to imagine a cake. I can do that quite easily. My, my, my wife makes outstanding banana cakes. Now I don't know how to make a banana cake. I don't need to. In fact, I wouldn't even try making a banana cake because I want to be able to eat that one at the end, enjoy the product at the end. Now, this, these banana cakes my wife cooks, they're not just good, they're earth-shattering to the palate. Now, imagine I decided in my uh, great foolishness, Beth's out, she's left some cake behind, foolish thing to do, I'm on my own. And 
And I think, oh, these are so good. Oh, maybe I could do, make this myself. So I'll start pulling the cake apart to try to work out all the different ingredients in it. That'd be a sad thing for the cake. It'd be sadder for my palate. Now, what I've done when I've pulled it apart, no matter how I've tried to get it back together again, it's not going to be as good as it was first. And I know I couldn't get it back together again anyway. That's what happens to the Bible. People want to pull bits out of it, pull it apart, and then the sweetness of the word is lost. The coherency of the word is lost. We need to look at the Bible as a unity and gain from that what the, un the, the unity and the flow of it shows me rather than just saying, this part suits me, but this part doesn't. So I'll do, I'll do myself a disfavour and the Bible a disfavour by taking it apart. We're not here to do that. Genesis 1 is creation. But Eden is not mentioned in Genesis 1. Genesis 2 is creation again, looked through, looking through a telescope. Yes, looking through a telescope at what God's done. So we're now gaining clearer information on the minutiae of the creation story. And the story is really about Eden. In Genesis 2, evil is present, but it hasn't been touched. In Genesis 3, creation is lost. Uh, sorry, Eden is lost, and evil has been touched. Now, to mirror that with Revelation 20, 21 and 22. So Genesis 3 finishes with creation lost. Revelation 20 finishes with evil lost, Satan destroyed, in, uh, thrown into the lake of burning sulphur. So the mirror continues. Genesis 2 is about creation and evil present, but Revelation 21 is the new creation. And evil has already been thrown into the lake of burning sulphur. So it seems to me there's a chronology between 20 and 21 that you can't deny. Now if you think about it, why, after Eden, after mankind was expelled from Eden, did God put those angels with flaming swords on the gate to Eden? Why would God have done that? Because he didn't want evil returning into the Garden of Eden and eating from the Tree of Life. Because then Eden would too have had eternal life. Evil would too then have had eternal life. So what God does between uh, Revelation 20 and 21 is destroy evil and then create the new heavens and the new earth because their evil is destroyed and evil cannot have any opportunity to return to paradise, to return to heaven. So God's got that base covered. And when we get to Revelation 22... We're, met, we're, see, we're seeing what's in Genesis 1. A perfect creation with Eden regained. So the story of scripture is from the front to the back, paradise. God creates paradise. Paradise is lost. God makes an attempt to, to recreate paradise in the land of Canaan, but that didn't work for his people either. So God's going to take us from the paradise that we had in Genesis 2 to the paradise that God's making in Revelation 21 
and imperfection 22, as the world was in Genesis 1. If I can grasp this, my journey through life is, isn't from paradise because I wasn't in the first paradise, but it is to get to paradise. It is to reach paradise, eternal life and good Lord. We sung that, that hymn there, the first one I, when I came in. That was outstanding. Well, that's so perfect what we're talking about today. So what Jesus has done in the middle, he has recovered paradise for us. And that'll come out more in Easter when we get to the the two famous gardens. So that's where we're going. Today we look at the two trees and I hope that this flow is clear and I hope that the flow I can develop well so that you can get to three months' time and think, well, this is where we started and I can see how we got there. So what I'd like to do now is reread Genesis 2. 8 to 17. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. Now this is tantalising. What was outside of Eden? Adam was made outside of Eden and placed into Eden. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for the food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, we don't know what's outside of Eden, but there's some tantalising hints uh, in the chapters after this, between chapter 4 and chapter 11, about what was outside of Eden. Now, I don't want to get into that, but I want to say that God had created paradise and put man in paradise on earth. Now, in the middle of the garden, there are two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, God made an abundance of of trees and bushes and garden, foliage, flora, but he only names two. And the two he names are actually in the centre of the garden. So it seems to me that you've got to believe that there's a priority on those two trees, which is why God singles them out and why they're in the centre. So there's an importance to them that is not to be denied. Let's keep going. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of of that land is good, aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It's the Gihon. It winds through the centre land of Cush which is likely the old Mesopotamia. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is is the Euphrates. First two rivers, I I can't find out anything about. Last two is to hear it alive and well. I'll put them on a map for you in a minute. Now the Lord God took man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Now, there's a simplicity to this that can't escape me. Adam is in Eden. He was given two jobs. He could till the soil and name the animals, which he managed to do. And he had one instruction, one commandment. There was one man and one commandment. Now you think that's a reasonably good formula to get things to work well. This fella's only got one thing he's got to remember. 
don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Simple as. He's got all of Eden to eat from. Now, I don't know about you, but I reckon mango was a food of Eden. You know, like mango? Oh, that's a, you like broccoli, do you? Oh, that was the weeds that came in Genesis 3, I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Brussels sprouts as well. And, and the odd cauliflower cabbage. I think the other food that was in Eden, along with the mangoes, was salmon. But the problem was you couldn't kill them because there was no death in Eden. So I don't know how you got around to fish eating, but that's another issue. So, let's look at the map. Can you guys see that clearly or is it too small? Thanks, Steve. You see the green fertile crescent? That's where the seed of civilization is. It's also where in Genesis 11, when uh, Genesis 10, the flood finishes and God sends them out and says, you've got to go and uh, populate the earth, they get to the region between the Tigris and Euphrates River, which would have been very pleasant because it's well watered. They get to that region and Babylon starts because they don't want to move. So they get to this uh, intersection of the two rivers and Babylon starts because God's told us to, to move across the world to uh, fill the face of the earth. But no, we found a really nice place, we're not going. That's the seat of civilization. That's where Eden was. So we can locate that on the map, and I find that just fascinating, those, these little things. So the trees were created on the third day. Next slide, thanks. Uh, on the third day, all of creation is drawn to trees. Life evolves around trees. Not only do trees give us oxygen in the air, but they give us protection, they give us life, and they give us food. And how nice is it to sit in the shade of a tree on a, on a scorcher of a day? Almost as good as sitting under an air conditioner, isn't it? Or maybe better if you like if you like trees. So Genesis two is a place of choice. One man and one rule. Simple. Daily we face the same choice though that Adam faced prehistory. Which do I eat from? Which one do I obey? The tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Now the two trees have now become spiritual metaphors for learning and for life, because what we eat we take in. What informs us, forms us. Why the Bible says don't sit down with wicked people. Psalm 100. Because we were formed by the way they think. But please note in all of this, it is Jesus who transforms us. Now when, when the habits of the day, when the, the urgent squeezes out the important, that's when we're not eating from the tree of life. Sure, we will still gain knowledge during the day, but the best place to gain your knowledge is from here first. Bible before brekkie, an old clergyman told me recently. Bible, best information before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E. That's what we need each morning, food from the tree of life. Nevertheless, why did God place two trees in Eden? These trees are, they aren't complementary, they're competitors. And we were told not to eat of one of them. 
Now, my son, when he was 19, taught me this. Faithfulness is only real when unfaithfulness is possible. Faithfulness is only real when unfaithfulness is possible. If there was no tree of knowledge of good and evil in Eden, Adam wouldn't have been much more than a divine puppet without choice. But if you're like me, I like relationship. I don't like the lack of relationship. Now, if Adam didn't have this choice, he would not understand faithfulness and unfaithfulness. And it's in faithfulness and unfaithfulness and the opportunity that the true man is revealed. The true man is revealed what he is on his own when no one's watching, when the lights are out, when the, when the, the computer's on and no one's around. That's where the true man, true woman is revealed, what we are, where we are on our own. So God gave mankind this opportunity to show his faithfulness. It didn't last too long, did he? The two truths are competitors, they are not companions. The tree of knowledge is not a divine complement, E-M-E-N-T, to the tree of life, but rather it's challenger. Now anybody that's going to teach you evolution is teaching you food from the tree of knowledge because that is not how the world was created. Let's keep going. Eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We all follow Adam. We all continue to eat from the tree of knowledge. For that which is sweet to the palate, we will always return to. When you get a thirst for knowledge, and we all get thirst for knowledge at various points in time, it's usually we have to go to the tree of knowledge for the solutions. I want to find out something about cars or bikes. I'm just going to go to the tree of knowledge. Bible doesn't address that. Now that's not the bad part of the tree of knowledge. So it's okay to pursue those sorts of things. But the problem is the tree of, lo- the tree of knowledge promises a lot more than it can deliver. And this is where the evil turned, uh, where it's proved evil. The tree of knowledge is unable to bring life. It is the only path to, lead to evil. It takes life and it lights the path to hell. Angus Young famously sung, didn't he, in ACDC, Highway to Hell. He did not get that tune, that rollicking, upbeat tune. He did not get those lyrics from the tree of life. He got them elsewhere. The tree of knowledge it's of good and evil. Now the tree of knowledge tells me I live by knowledge alone. The tree of life tells me I live by faith alone. For we live by faith, not by sight. But in this ever increasing world of knowledge, we cannot get work without the right knowledge, without the qualifications. And the tree of knowledge rewards those that eat seriously at its bowels and take its fruit. That's how you get your degrees. And then it encourages you to get an undergraduate degree and then you get a master's and then you get a master's with honours and you know how it goes. So we continue to eat of the tree of knowledge because it gives us approval. 
And then it promises its work with glory and, um, and, and good income. Of course, that's starting to fade these days. The tree of knowledge is still deceitful. Because how many people, how many lawyers now that come out of uni <coughs> aren't actually finding work? For instance, so the tree of knowledge legitimises wickedness. So errors are accumulated and the truth is oppressed. Because the tree of knowledge still says to us, as it did to Eve in Eden, did God really say? It muddles sin and it muddles salvation. It promises. It promises to give us salvation if we eat of its lips or eat of its leaves. But no, it can't. It can only take us to death. Because it's telling us that this is to be pulled apart or not true, and it's telling us to disbelieve in Jesus. The tree of knowledge does give us glory on earth. Some people get a lot of glory on earth. But what the tree of uh, life does, it gives us permanent glory with the crown of life. The tree of knowledge sounds so reasonable, which is what's happened with the, the immorality debates, debates that are coming, carrying on now and have been for the last decade, that this immorality seems reasonable and that the tree of life seems unreasonable in saying that homosexuality, particularly in all the other forms of sexual dysfunction we have nowadays, are good and legitimate. Now I want to tell you a little story I read in the Herald, oh, it was two days ago, three days ago. Israel Flower. He can't go anywhere in this world without getting a headline. He signed a new contract with a French football team called Catalan, I think that's how you say it. And theoretically this Wednesday he will be playing his first match against the British side in the Super League. I do not remember the name of the British side, but it's irrelevant to the story. So there's a whole, whole uh, rejection of Israel Flower back in rugby league, international rugby league, as well as it is in uh, the ARU in Australia. So Israel Flower is now on the team. He's got this job with the, uh, with the Catalans. And the manager of the of the opposing side, the British side, has come out firing, saying that he should not be allowed to play at all, but they can't stop him playing. So he shouldn't be allowed to play at all. And what, what this manager, and I'm glad you're sitting down because you'll fall over if you're, if you're standing up. What the manager said about Israel Flower is that he is morally bankrupt. He didn't get that piece of information from the tree of life, did he? Israel Folau is morally bankrupt. And the, the owner of the Catalans went into defence of Israel and saying, well, when I met with him, I found him to be a gentle, well-spoken man of great honour and dignity and honesty, not like the other people I speak to. So... The wealthy man, wealthy Frenchman that owns a football side could see the good in Israel Flower, but his counterpart in England called him morally bankrupt. Now guys, 
That's the world we're living in, one ruled by the tree of knowledge and telling us that the tree of life is unreasonable. If you deny the presence of evil, you are vulnerable to its lies and to its torture. You have no defences against an unseen seen enemy. It promises answers to poverty, it promises answers to war, it promises answers to death, it promises health, and it offers many pathways to, to, to salvation. But we still have war, we still have death, we still have um, poverty, we still have poor health, and anybody on those other pathways have never made heaven. The tree of knowledge cannot deliver on its promises. Now, pride is the sweetest fruit from the tree of knowledge, but shame was the first. Adam was, uh, uh, Lucifer was found in heaven with pride. Started war in heaven, Revelation 12, and then was expelled to earth. And sometimes I wonder if he was expelled to earth between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. But that's just sheer speculation. So, the tree of knowledge teaches us to flee God, which is what Adam and Eve did. With their shame, they hid from God. And man has been faithful at hiding from God ever since. It's the only faithfulness man has brought. Now, let me ask you a question. How many times have you heard a fellow, I don't think I've heard a woman say this, but how many times have you heard a fellow say, I can't go into that church because the roof might fall off on you? Have you ever heard a nice fellow say that? Have any women ever said that? Have you ever heard a woman say that? Yeah. Guys, why does he go into church? He needs to hide from God. He's doing what Adam did in Genesis. He fears judgment. The roof will fall upon him. Now that's only wiki. It's in his spirit. He doesn't dare it. But he fears the judgment of God because he sees the church as the house of God. So I'm staying away from the house where judgment could come in on him. It says, it is said as a joke countless times. But it's not a joke, it's actually the truth that his spirit is feeling that he doesn't understand. Now what we need to do is become spiritual fruit pickers in assessing the tree of knowledge versus the tree of life. And then we are equipped and not hoodwinked. Disciples must discern the source of knowledge they are formed by. Now the first indicator that will help you understand if you're eating from the tree of life versus the tree of knowledge, so you can discern the fruit that you're gaining. The first indicator is pride. I remember, feeling, I remember speaking to a fellow not that long ago, and he said to me, I said, why did you go to college? Why did you go to study? He said, because I wanted to win the arguments. True story. So why... Did that man go and study? So he could become proud. He could elevate his pride, elevate his knowledge. So that's the first indicator. If you're eating something, if you're studying something and it's giving you pride, it's not coming from the tree of life because the tree of life is humble. We're going to look at that next week. So many only snack at the tree of life. Uh, next slide, thanks but feast at the tree of knowledge. Both trees are appealing and both have an eternal impact. And that's what the tree of knowledge wants us to do, is to have a feast at it and to starve ourselves of the tree of life. The tree of knowledge draws disciples away from the tree of life. When human life is based on reason alone, the possibility of life is removed. I don't know how many times I've had people tell me, 
If I can't see it, I can't taste it, I can't touch it, I can't smell it, I don't believe it. The time's going to come when the good Lord returns where reason will have proved faith right. Not faith proving reason right. Because when the good Lord returns and we're gathered up into heavens, into the heavens, into the skies, all those who have eaten from the tree of knowledge and not eaten from the tree of life are going to see that these guys, the Israel Falaos that have got faith, they were actually right all the time. They'll see the reason, but they're on the wrong side. Faith will be proved right by reason when the good Lord returns. Both trees offer knowledge, but only one offers life. Have you sought answers to things, particularly in, in relationships, particularly in counselling, and all the counselling still fails? Still come out the same, except your wallet's a lot lighter. Well, that's because you're eating fruit from the wrong tree. If you want to assume, if you want to do something that you have really done, if you want to achieve something that you've really achieved, you have, to do, you have to do something that you've really done, that you have rarely done. To gain what you have really had, you must do what you have really done. Because isn't the definition of lunacy continuing to do the same thing but expecting different results? And that's repeated and repeated and repeated. So let's look at Revelation 22 and tie this all together. Now, if I fall for temptation, the final state is not better than the first. It is worse. That's the purpose of temptation, to lead you to a place that's going to hurt you further. But when I eat from the tree of life, the final state is better than the first. Look at this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and up the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. Now that just tantalises me. That teases me. My mind can't grasp that. Here you've got a, the tree of life. But it's both sides of the river. How can you get a tree on both sides of the river? That fascinates me deeply. I've got no answer to it. I can ask the question and that's all I can do. But note, it's the tree of life that is in the new heaven and the new earth and the tree of knowledge has been thrown into the lake of burning sulphur. Of course, in Revelation 20, that's where evil's gone. In the lake of burning sulphur. So on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit. You're never going to go hungry. Every month the food's going to be fresh yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Grasp that last sentence. Does not the nation do, does not. Do not the nations of this world need healing? They need spiritual healing, physical healing, they need harmony. They need well-being. But war is the order of, of life until the good Lord returns. Because the healing of the nations will then be possible, will then have occurred. And isn't it, isn't it interesting to note that it's the tree of life that's doing this at the end of time? So, the tree of knowledge of good and evil awaits a permanent destruction. So therefore, choose to eat from the tree of life alone. Take that in every day. 
Because what I need to remember, the one tree has saved mankind and the other tree has seduced him. Let's bow our heads. Our Lord, give us a hunger and a thirst for your word that's unshakable. Fill us with your spirit and draw us close to you. For Lord, we know that in you there is the best. And we know in you the best is yet to come. Amen.